Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about the show, including how you can watch live, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you to my Patreon podcast sponsors, Brenda Drake and Reframe. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the April 24th episode of Pub Talk Live, the live publishing talk show airing the second and fourth Saturday of every month at 9 p.m. Eastern. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I'm a young adult author, board member, and agent liaison for Pitch Wars, and a library event planner. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to Reminders via email by clicking on the link in the description so you don't miss a show. If you'd like to support the show, you can find a link to the Patreon near the end of the video description down below. I also wanted to let y'all know, make sure I let you know now that I have an upcoming free workshop on crafting elevator pitches. So I just want to drop that link in the chat in case you want to subscribe to that. Also, some of you may know I launched my new podcast, Queries, Quants, and Quirks, about three weeks ago, and um, people are really enjoying it, so thank you so much for listening, and I saw a couple of reviews, and thank y'all so much for um, supporting that show. So I just wanted to um, let you know, if you haven't listened to that, it asks published authors to share their successful query letters and discuss their journeys from first spark to day of publication. So I'm going to go ahead and bring on today's guest co-host. Kylie Shakti is the author of the YA noir mystery, You're Next, out now from Jimmy Patterson and Little Brown. She is a graduate from Sarah Lawrence College, as well as a Pitch Wars alum and mentor. She lives in Portland, Oregon with her husband, Tiny Cat, and Giant Dog. Please welcome to the show, Kylie. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. Kylie has been on my channel at least once before. Yeah, um, a couple times. Yeah, for Pitch Wars related stuff. So welcome back. <laughs> yeah, it's always, always fun. Um, so I was like really excited when you asked if I wanted to do this one. Yeah. Um, so just a heads up, the viewer poll for today, the question is when you draft, do you focus on getting it done or getting it right the first time around? Um, so I'm gonna put that link in the, in the uh, chat if you haven't watched it yet, if you haven't voted on it yet please go ahead and do that. And um, and we'll talk about it at the end of the show. All right, hi, Jay. Jay said, hi, pubbers. Hey, pubbers. Um, Jaylen is um, a longtime regular around the show and pubbers are what my viewers have named themselves, <laughs> which is, <laughs> I just still get a kick out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, also, yes, I, my hair is in a ponytail today, and now that my hair fits into a ponytail, you may never see it again. Just heads up. <laughs> All right, Kylie's going to get us started with some fun news. Sure, yeah. So the Shadow and Bone Netflix series premiered yesterday um, based on Lee Bardigo's Grishaverse books. Um, I just finished the whole first season this morning. <laughs> did you? <laughs> um, I did. Are you watching it or do you plan to watch it? I haven't watched it yet, um, but I do plan on watching it. I'm going to see if I can get my significant other to watch it with me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I told my husband I needed to like watch it all the way through by myself and then mm. we could watch like one episode at a time together. But I, <laughs> I knew I would just be like too impatient having to explain things mm. to him if, I, if we tried to do it together at the same time. Oh, so. yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I read um i read the shadow and bone and then the sequel but i didn't read the six of crows book so yeah maybe i'm not a like much. huge fan of the original shadow and bone trilogy but like six of crows has my heart forever and ever yeah. so but the 
TV show doesn't really um, cover too much of the territory of what happens in the Six of Crows book. Mm. So it's not like you'll be lost if you haven't yeah. read them yet when you watch. No, Jay, no spoilers here. This is, we only <laughs> spoil things that are 10 years old or older on the show. Um, all right. So now we have some not so fun news. Um, W.W. Norton, the publisher of a new biography by um, of Philip Roth by Blake Bailey, has stopped the shipment and promotion of the book after multiple sexual assault allegations have been made against the author. On Monday, his literary agency also dropped him. And his accusers range from students in his former eighth grade English class to a former graduate student to a publishing marketing executive. So he's just a equal opportunity harasser, sounds like. Yeah, garbage person. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess like it's this is not a thing that I knew, but I suppose like somebody who willfully chooses to be a biographer of Philip Roth, it's like... I don't know. It doesn't come as like that big of a surprise. But you're also <laughs> kind of trash. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. So uh, I did see that Australia, the publisher in Australia, is like still going forward with the book and was like, "We're we're waiting on more information." But you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when we're talking about um, sexually assaulting eighth graders, we can just kind of like take that on face value. I know that's, yeah. that's my controversial opinion. <laughs> um, the next item we have is the shortlist for the International Booker Prize was announced last week. The prize honors the finest works of translated fiction from around the world, translated into English for the British and Irish market. And the winners are going to be announced on June 2nd in a virtual ceremony. Yeah, I saw. Um, I We always talk about the Booker Prize on this show, but I never read any of the books that make the shortlist. That's just not my kind of books, but I always like to cover it just in case other people are interested. <laughs> yeah, I used to work for a small um, indie publisher, and we used to always like watch the Booker Prize announcements really closely so that we could like try and snag some of them for yeah. um, translation for, or for North America rights. And we would like always lose out to the bigger guys. <laughs> Um, on that fight. Hmm. In other award news, the LA, LA Times Book Award winners were announced last Friday. Some notable winners, and I say notable winners, I mean notable winners for the people who watch my show. So I've picked out the genres that most people tend to um, like who watch my show is um, they are Punching the Air in the Young Adult category, The Only Good Indians in the Speculative Fiction, Science Fiction, Fantasy category, and Blacktop Wasteland in the Mystery category by S.A. Cosby. Um, I have like a friend who's friends with um, Sean and I really wanna get him on the show sometime. So hopefully that will happen. Yeah, that book has been on my TBR for quite a while. Um, definitely excited to read it. So glad to see that it's getting some good recognition. Yeah. And um, today was Indie Bookstore Day. Um, so bookstores all over the country are celebrating with events, deals, exclusive items, and more. Um, President Obama did six virtual appearances with bookstores to promote them. So if you have a local indie that you um, want to support, please do so. They have been really struggling, obviously, in the last year. And I just, this I'm a debut author. I just have been so incredibly floored by how wonderful indie bookstores mm -hmm. um, and indie booksellers can be and how um, you know enthusiastic and important a part of the community they are. So get out there and spend your money. 
Yeah, I um, today I had to work nine to six, and we we hosted a, a virtual gardening festival, which was fun. But um, yeah, that meant fun. that I couldn't make it out to any um, indie bookstores because all of them are like a forty minute drive for me. But um, yes, but it's of course never too late to support an indie bookstore. So feel free to yes. go tomorrow. I'm sure they won't mind. <laughs> Or also like bookshop.org, IndieBound, mm -hmm. like all good places to shop online, especially if you don't have um, an indie bookstore in your area. I've been really heavily using Bookshop recently in particular to support um, Black-owned and AAPI-owned bookstores around the country because Portland doesn't have too many of those. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because um, let's talk about that for a little bit, because I saw a comment today. Someone was saying, you know, you should support indie bookstores. And this person was like, I only read ebooks, so how you know, how can I support any bookstores? <clears throat> and um, Kobo has a program where you can basically buy the eBooks and the, the bookstore gets, you know, part of the profits, much like bookshop.org. If you're not familiar with that, if you want to buy print books at bookshop.org, if you don't have an indie bookstore in your area, you can, you know, support them from you can support any of them all over the place. And then audiobooks, uh, Libro FM also, mm -hmm. um, does that as well. So uh, no matter what format you listen in, there is a way to support indie bookstores through your purchases. So um, Jeff Bezos has enough money, so <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, I think like as an author, at the end of the day, like I totally get the financial constraints that some people have going on in their lives. Like if you can buy a book, buy a book, whatever way you need to make that happen is fine. No shade. But if you have, the, I had to kind of make the call for myself of like, I, it's financially feasible for me to just only ever shop indie bookstores. Um, so there's really just no reason for me not to be doing that, especially as an author. Now I have like a financial stake in the game. Mm -hmm. um, but I think to um, Powell's, which is my local indie here in Portland and is you know the biggest indie bookstore in the country, I think, mm -hmm. um, they ship nationwide for yeah. free and i think it's even two-day shipping if you order more than 15 dollars worth of books which is mm. like you know not that different from amazon yeah uh, so yeah it's there as you said jeff Bezos has enough money we don't need to be yeah. giving him anymore and i know also like a lot of book bloggers and stuff um they like amazon because of the affiliate programs but bookshop and libro fm both have affiliate programs as well so um, Libro FM, you get you get book credits, <laughs> but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine by me. <laughs> it's not like they're going unspent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So our last piece of news: some Simon and Schuster staff members and other industry folks signed a petition last week asking the publisher to cancel its book deal with Mike Pence. And CEO Jonathan Karp wrote a letter to employees last week defending the decision. He wrote, "Quote." We come to work each day to publish, not cancel, which is the most extreme decision a publisher can make and one that runs counter to the very core of our mission to publish a diversity of voices and perspectives. Um, this follows Simon & Schuster's announcement that they would not distribute a book written by one of the police officers who killed Breonna Taylor, but said they could not cancel their distribution deal with the publisher entirely. Uh, <laughs> but... That's I mean so many deep breaths over here. Yeah. I just um whenever I read our mission to publish a diversity of voices and perspectives, my eyebrows shot into my forehead. 
<laughs> because how can you use that phrase to defend? I, I don't want to get into it. Y'all know everyone. <laughs> I think everyone knows. Everyone agrees. We're, we're all here. If you don't agree and you're watching the show, I don't know why you're still here to be honest. But <laughs> yeah, I think we can give, we can have sort of a diversity of perspectives and voices without pretending like the perspectives of murderers are <laughs> of just sort of like equal difference of opinion worthy yeah. of consideration as people who don't want to be murdered. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks, Karen. Good to see you here, Karen. All right, it is time to bring on our special guest. So Angela Ackerman is a writing coach, international speaker, and co-author of the best-selling book, The Emotion Thesaurus, a writer's guide to character, expression, and its many sequels. Available in eight languages, her guides are sourced by US universities, recommended by agents and editors, and are used by novelists, screenwriters, and psychologists around the world. To date, excuse me, this book collection has sold well over half a million copies. Angela is also the co-founder of the popular site writing Writers Helping Writers, as well as One Stop for Writers, a portal to game-changing tools and resources that enable writers to craft powerful fiction. So please welcome, I'm happy to welcome to the show, Angela. Hello. Hi. Angela. I have Hi. to tell you guys that I am, I'm just watching Shadow and Bone right now. That's what I'm going to be doing after this is catching up. <laughs> So thank nice. you guys for not having any spoilers or anything. Like oh, yeah. That. Yeah. Oh, it's exciting. So anyway, thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, I um, I have I come to my sister's house to do the show, which the regulars will know. Um, and they are not home tonight and they have Disney Plus and I don't. So I might just sneak <laughs> in a couple episodes of something on Disney Plus. While I'm here. Take advantage. That's my thing. Yeah. All right, so we are all fans of the Emotion Thesaurus. I'm saying we, me, Kylie, and, and probably several, I know Jay is for sure. Um, can you take us back to the beginning and talk about how it got started and how it evolved to where it is today? Sure. Um, so my co-author, Becca Puglisi, and I, we met on a critique group site online called The Critique Circle. And uh, we both write children's fiction, and we were both, you know, green writers, pretty sure that all we needed to do was like, just tweak our work a little bit. And then we were totally publishable. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can relate. And so, you know, uh, we met there and just really gelled and enjoyed each other's work. But we both had a real common struggle. And that was how to show our characters emotions without them doing the same things over and over and over. Like, frowning and shrugging and, you know, you know, rolling their eyes and things like that. And, um, you know, we just, we knew that there had to be a better way to sort of brainstorm new ideas so that our characters weren't all repeating themselves. And um, we were talking about it with a few other writers there and Becca had mentioned that she had started taking notes on certain emotions. And so we decided to start building lists and just tackle an emotion at a time and think about all the things a character might um, do with their body language, those visceral sensations that happen inside, you know, what sort of thoughts go through your head when you're scared versus you're anxious versus you're happy, you know, what are the different things happening there, um, different vocal tics and things, and just create these lists so that when we needed help, we could go back to them. And um, we decided at that point in time, you know, we were hearing a lot about this word called platform, 
And so we knew that we needed to create one, whatever that looked like. Like I said, <laughs> we were so close and so ready to be published. We had a lot to learn, in other words. <laughs> we, we, we started a blog and we decided let's blog these lists because, you know, maybe other people have the same struggles we do. And it was kind of crazy. Um, they got it, they got very, very popular. People would come to the blog every Thursday, which is when we would put up a new emotion. And, mm. you know, people would start requesting different emotions. And, um, you know, we just kind of uh, went from there and started branching out into other topics like setting and, and personality traits and things like that. Um, and then at one point in time, someone um, contacted us from the Florida Writers Association, wanting us to come down and present some workshops around the emotion thesaurus that they had, which was surprising because it wasn't a book at that point in time. <laughs> so what someone had done is they had pirated our content and oh. they were distributing it as a PDF. And this person had gotten <laughs> it and they're like, hey, this is really useful. I'm gonna get the people to come and, so that's how we realized, okay, we need to do something with this or, you know, someone else will. Mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, long story short, we decided to self-publish it in 2012 and it became the first of many books um, and many thesauruses. We have a lot more thesauruses than we have books. Um, we have eight different volumes as far as different thesaurus topics go, but Beck and I are on our 16th thesaurus right now. Um, and so, yeah, we just kind of have kept running with that idea of really helping writers with show, don't tell, which mm -hmm. is such a huge topic and so important for us to get right. Um, you know, it directly pulls those readers in and, and involves them in the story world and makes them feel like they're part of what's happening for the characters. So we absolutely, we have to figure out how to, how to make every word in our story count. And so that's kind yeah. of our mission now. Nice. When did you start posting them as blog posts? Um, I think 2008, I'd have mm. to go back and look. It was quite a long time ago. We originally had a blog called The Bookshelf Muse. And then in 2013, oh, yeah. we moved over to Writers Helping Writers um, mm. on the WordPress platform, just to kind of rebrand ourselves because Writers Helping Writers, that's what we do, that's who we are. And so it was time to kind of grow up a little bit and, and brand ourselves and get more serious about this. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's been our site ever since. Yeah, I started getting involved in um, the writing community in around 2009, I think. And so I feel like the emotion thrust source has has always been there, but it it seems like it was it was it came right before I did, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So follow up question to kind of the growth. You said on your website that focusing on relationships, not promotion, has allowed you to build build a worldwide loyal fan base. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I struggle with promotion, like self promotion. I, just, I don't enjoy yeah. it. I don't like it. Like, I don't like the whole look at me thing. Um, and yet, you know, there's this conundrum, you have a book, you are supposed to sell it, you know, like, what do you do? And I had to figure out a way, uh, Beck and I had to figure out a way where we could get comfortable with promotion. And what we decided to do was not focus on promotion and instead focus on our mission, which is to help writers. And um, I think that, you know, if you're always looking for the sales and you're always like hunting money, it's not gonna work out. 
But if you focus on your audience and you ask yourself, what is it that they need? What is it that they want? Why are, are they on this platform? How can I give that to them? You know, whether it's entertainment or information or, you know, just uh, to feel like there's somebody there that understands them. You know, it doesn't matter if you're nonfiction or fiction, getting to know your audience and really understanding who they are and what they love and then being there. Like to me, that's the way to do this right. And a lot of authors, they don't they don't necessarily like to um, they don't necessarily like to invest in relationships because it takes a long time to build a relationship. You know, you don't just meet someone and then get married. And it's the same thing, building relationships with your audience. It's going to take time and you have to be authentic. You, you know, you have to be genuine. And when you are, it just, it's amazing because it doesn't feel like marketing. It doesn't feel like promotion. It just feels like you're doing good work. And, uh, and you're talking to people about things that you both love and enjoy because you wrote a book about it. And so you can take the topics from your book, whatever it is, fiction, nonfiction, and you know you can kind of nerd out about those things and i just think it's it makes marketing and promotion fun so that's that's what i focus on is is the relationships not not the book sales or anything like that mm. thanks yeah i think that's been a big learn i'm a debut author this year so that's been like a big learning for me is that focusing on what feels good to do, which is often the like connecting with other people, getting to help other people that always ends up paying bigger dividends than the like marketing strategy stuff that I try to game out in my head that just never ends yeah. up making any sense. I mean, I see, I see a lot of um, marketing the wrong way. You know, I'll get people that um, because I have several fa pa Facebook pages and and uh, and whatnot, you know, you'll get a lot of DMs where people just sort of plunk their book in and, you know, that kind of stuff. And and you try to have conversations and say, you know, there's there's other ways to market and, you know, like here's, you know, what might work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I think that one frustration for all of us is that there's always so much to do between marketing and writing and, and the business end of things. And it's a lot to manage and it's some of it's uncomfortable. Um, but th there's, there could be a temptation for some people to kind of look for the shortcuts, but it's my mm -hmm. opinion that shortcuts don't work and just, you know, really look around you, look at other authors in your genre, see what they're doing. How are they connecting with their audience and then emulate these things? You know, the, the writers who are really successful and really are in tune with their readers, like that's what you want to, to have as well. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, so how do you balance the the marketing versus the getting the actual writing done? I'm asking for a friend here. <laughs> well, it's it's gotten increasingly more difficult uh, now that Beck and I are doing more than books. Um, you know, our books, how we tend to do it is, you know, after we brainstorm the idea and the concept that we want to pursue in each book, you know, we sort of split it in half and each do our own half and then swap and all that kind of stuff. So the good news is, is we're often working on our books at different times. So that makes things a little bit easier. Um, I will admit like I am, you know, really flat out with a lot of different stuff and I don't have as much time for writing as I wish I did. Mm -hmm. um, having one stop for writers and, you know, creating new tools and new content there and trying to help writers through that type of portal, it takes a lot of time and energy. Um, and then there is, you know, there is the marketing of, of both, you know, our books and our one-stop site. And that does, you know, chew into your time as well. But I don't know, you just have to figure out a way to manage the best you can and really 
um, challenge yourself to understand what your goals are. And when things come along, you know, opportunities or, or risks, you know, just look at them, look at what your mission is um, and decide, is this going to distract me from what I need to get done or not? Because I know early on, you know, when I was just starting up, like any opportunity that came along, you're just like, oh, I should do this. I should do this. And it kind of distracts you. And then you're realizing, oh, I'm not getting my book written or I'm not doing these things that I really wanted to get done. And so you have to sort of find a way to um, organize yourself and make sure that your time is going in the right direction. Becca and I, we follow a business plan and everything changed for us once we started doing that. I have a, um, a blog post about it. It's a, it's a business plan for writers. Um, it's at Jane Friedman's and I can, you know, send the link later on if anyone wants it. But, um, that my husband is a business management consultant. And so he helped us set mm -hmm. up that plan. And it, once we started following that plan, we got so much more accomplished. It was really fantastic. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's not sexy, like business plan talk, but <laughs> it really is. I don't know. I'm like, Ooh, uh. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> Um, no, I love that idea of having like a kind of core mission to come back to you because I do like, I think the farther people go in the pub their publishing journey, the more they're going to realize that there are sort of finite limitations around your time and your energy and your creative energy. Um, so having this sort of kind of guiding principles, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I have like a million actual craft questions about emotions <laughs> because this is something I struggle with endlessly. Um, so one of the things that I really love about the emotion thesaurus is the way that you talk about kind of balancing the different ways of conveying emotion across physical cues, internal cues, dialogue. Um, what are some, what's some of the advice that you have for writers as far as kind of calibrating that balance, making sure that all of those things are staying in balance as they're writing? Um, I would say, first of all, the most important thing that we can do when it comes to emotion um, is actually really understand who our character is. Um, because the better you understand your character and what fears they have, what emotional sensitivities they have, what, a, what wounds are coming into play in the story, um, what their comfort zone is, what their emotional range is, you're going to get a better feel for how are they going to express emotion in every scene. And, you know, at, at you know, what level you know, if, if they're scared, is it here? Is it here? And what does that look like? And that's really what we need to understand is what is that range uh, for each individual character? So the mm -hmm. first thing would be 100% really invest time into understanding who your character is and what, how they express emotion, what feels normal for them. I think as far as um, making sure that we're not um, skewing too much to say body language or skewing too much to, to dialogue or, or getting too internal, which is always a problem. We get inside a character's head and then suddenly there's two pages of thoughts and nothing's happening. <laughs> um, is just simply to be aware of what our weaknesses are. And I think we all have them. Um, you know, for some people they struggle with the show don't tell. And so, uh, if you know that maybe you tend to tell a little bit more than show, I really recommend to, to pay attention for where you name the emotion. If you're naming it, you know, relief or you're naming it fear, or if you've got those actual names of the emotions in your writing, those are almost always places where you need to show and not tell. So if you know that that tends to be, you know, uh, uh, something that you do, then you can sort of flag it for yourself. Look for those instances and make sure that you're showing 
I think too, just um, thinking about the process of emotion, you know, um, you know, when your character's in a situation, you know, how are they interacting with the world around them? Um, and make sure that the ways that they are expressing themselves through body language, make sure it's meaningful. You know, our characters shouldn't just be randomly like crossing a room or randomly picking something up. Um, that's kind of empty description, and we really want to make things meaningful um, so that our our descriptions are going further and that body language is going further. Viscerals is something where if you know that that is something that you tend to not use a lot, you want to look for, and you want to try to incorporate it a little bit more. Most people, though, maybe tend to overuse it, and, you know, their hearts are always racing, you know, or... <laughs> Or you know the, their breath is rushing, rushing in and out, and and there's some overuse there. And I think if we're kind of aware that maybe that is a weakness of ours, that's something specifically that we can look for are those visceral cues. So a lot of it is just kind of self-awareness and sort of understanding, you know, what's our go-to and how can we make sure that we're not always, you know, doing that go-to and we've got a good mix of different things. Yeah, my go-to for um, a lot of my characters is a, a smirk, which I know is like a YA cliche, but it's also, to be fair, like the most emotion that I usually show externally. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just how I am as a person. Like I, I've been told so many times that like no one can ever tell how I'm feeling, like if I'm mad or whatever, they can't tell, right? And I didn't realize I like I've been told that a lot, but I didn't really realize it until one time. I don't know if you were there, Kylie, or not, but we had a Pitch Wars mentor chat and um, we got a troll on Twitter who was saying like some racist stuff about one of our mentors. And I was getting messages about this is the year I was managing director too. And I I blacked out. Like I was so angry that I can't remember those five minutes. And I went back and watched the video because we were live and it was like, you couldn't tell there was there was no outward <laughs> indication yeah. of how I was feeling. Um, yeah, so that is definitely something I struggled with, and and one of the reasons why I really um, started using the emotion thesaurus really early. <laughs> That's good. I think one thing that is really common with everyone, and kind of you, you know, honed in on it is uh, you're talking about facial expressions, right? Can't see anything, and the reality is in conversations when we're talking to people we're looking at their faces, right? And so as writers, it's kind of our go-to. You know, you you do describe the smirks or the frowns or the eye rolls and you know what the eyebrows are doing or whatever. But the thing is, is is we always encourage writers to think about the, how to use the whole body. Because mm -hmm. the face is like this big. There's really only so many things that you can say about it in a fresh way. But the body, like there's, you know, the way your posture is, you know, how your character's personal distance is from other people. How are they moving? Are they really expressive or are they just very still? Or is there a lot of tension in their body? You know, what are their legs doing? All of these things can help make our writing fresh. But if we're always focused on just what's going on here, it just yeah. doesn't translate as well to the page. So mm -hmm. yeah, there are only so many things on the, your face that yeah. can move. <laughs> Eyebrows cannot move in so many different directions. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I think that uh, like aside from resources like the Emotion Thesaurus, I think one of the most helpful things for me has been really paying attention to film and thinking about writing cinematically and how actors use their entire body to, and not mm. just the actor, but the entire way a scene um, is shot and lit and all of that kind of stuff, because film is obviously an inherently visual medium, um, makes a big difference in the way that we convey emotion as well, because they don't have they have almost the opposite problem that we do as authors where they have none of the internal monologue to rely on, whereas we mm -hmm. have not as much of the visual to rely on. Yeah. Well, you're totally right with like the lighting and the mood. And, and this is kind of where describing emotion through our characters, one thing that we can do, but we can use mood and atmosphere and shadow and light and different seasons, different mm -hmm. settings that have like a really strong emotional values that has meaning to the character. And it immediately puts them out of their element or it makes them, you know, at comfortable. Like these things can also really enhance whatever uh, emotion we're going for. So we, that's, you know, we need to think just beyond just our character and think about how all the descriptive elements are kind of working together to create this, you know, fantastic moment. Yeah. Yeah, I love the way you talk in the intro of the book about using setting and the way characters interact with their environment, because I think often when writers think about how setting is used to convey emotion, they go straight to the place of like, it's the dark and stormy night, or it's like <laughs> the golden sunlit meadow or whatever. Um, but I think just like the way that characters interact with the objects in their environment, the way the character exists in their environment with the pen on the table or like shredding the napkin at the diner or whatever, all of that is such an important um, way of kind of doing double duty with your work of you're creating setting and atmosphere, but you're also indicating emotion at the same time. And anytime you can be doing like multiple things at once with one sentence is always like solid gold as a writer. I agree. Yeah. All right. So uh, my Patreon supporters can submit questions ahead of time for guests on the show. And so this question is from Jay Lynn um, and it has a little, <laughs> little pun in it here. Um, not, I don't, it's not really fun. Anyway, how does it feel knowing your thesaurus series was such a success? And also, do you have plans to release more in the series? Um, well, definitely. I like the pun. Uh, <laughs> I would say it, it's been a, like an incredible roller coaster in that, you know, when we started this journey, you know, we didn't know how popular, especially the emotion thesaurus, you know, we thought that, hey, we have this struggle and hopefully this will help other writers, but we had no idea it was gonna kind of explode the way it did. And it's just been incredibly gratifying to know that something we did is, is helping so many writers. Um, our, you know, we, Becca and I, our brand is Writers Helping Writers. And I don't think you can find two people that really like feel that down to our core, like Becca and I do. It's, it's in everything that we do. And so, just being able to help people is just fantastic. It, it feels really great. Um, as for more books, absolutely. Uh, you know, it is so much fun to explore different topics. And the more we do, the more we see how everything is just interwoven. Currently, we have um, our uh, work working on a relationship thesaurus at Writers Helping Writers blog. Uh, kind of our processes is we float a thesaurus idea at the blog, kind of see what the reception is. And then if it's one that we think is really book worthy, we will, you know, take it off the blog, work it into a book and then and then uh, release it. And um, everything that we do ends up at One Stop for Writers as well. 
which is why right now there's eight books, but at One Stop for Writers, there's 15 thesauruses because all mm. of our content is there. So the book we're working on right now is actually the Conflict Thesaurus, which is, oh my God, so much fun to write because it's something that, you know, every writer needs, doesn't matter what genre you have, conflict is good and meaningful conflict is fantastic. And so um, we're really having a lot of fun kind of exploring the many different layers of internal and external conflict and how to bring that into the scene more um, using different types of elements. Mm. Uh, and it's actually, as some of our other books has happened, it's we realize the topic is too big for a single book. So it's actually gonna be two books. Um, and we're gonna release them staggered just uh, otherwise it'll take too long to get both of them both mm. ready at the same time. So. We're really hoping to have the first one released this year. So we'll see if we are able to get that done or not. But nice. uh, yes, definitely more. Yeah, I need that. So um, <laughs> if you could release it soon, that would be great. Yeah. Would much appreciate it. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit before about balancing the different ways of um, communicating emotion, internal, physical, all that. I'm curious about how you think about keeping emotional stuff in balance with other story considerations like pacing, world building, plot. Um, you know, I am somebody where I can just kind of like zoom through plot and it's like banter, banter, banter for 400 pages. And then my editor has to go back in and be like, can you make her feel a thing at any point in the story? <laughs> um, so I'm just curious, like what kind of advice do you have for writers as far as keeping those things kind of all in calibration with each other? How do you know when it's too much emotion versus too little emotion? Um, it's a great question. And, you know, as I kind of indicated earlier, I really think that emotion is something that can be woven into, you know, all elements of writing. And I think that that's when it's most successful is when we do, you know, when we think about, okay, in this scene, this is the core emotion that the characters are going to experience. How can I enhance that? Well, first of all, I'm not going to have this scene take place, you know, in a kitchen, like that's boring. Instead, I'm going to take them back to like the high school where this bad event happened. And it's going to like, it's gonna bring a lot, it's gonna load this scene so much more because this, whatever the situation is that's happening in the scene has to do with that past event. So I'm gonna be thinking strategically about my setting, about the different elements that I can bring into it so that everything just kind of creates this fantastic tuning fork for emotion. But as far as like making sure that, um, you know, you don't overdo emotion, I think probably one of the best things that we can do is to, get critique partners and get the help of other people, get insight, because we get so close to it. And like you say, I mean, there's always, all of us have our, our things, right? There's something that we love. Some people it's world building, some people it's emotion, other people it's uh, plotting and not so much characters. And, you know, we just, we go all in on a certain element and we are not always the best judge as to whether or not we went overboard or not. Emotion can be really helpful to get someone else's point of view because we're so deeply in that character's head and we know exactly why they're feeling what they feel, but we can't always judge whether or not we've shown it enough or we've shown it too much. And having someone else say, hey, this was a great scene, but I'm kind of confused as to what she was feeling or, you know, you kind of went on a lot <laughs> about what she was feeling. <laughs> that can really be helpful. Um, I think some people are just uh, also they maybe skew a little bit more to being more internal when it comes to emotion versus external. And that's another issue. Um, like I said before, if our characters are thinking too much about stuff they're not doing, they're not pushing the story forward, your pacing is going to slow down. 
And it really is like a concert and it takes time to learn how to weave all of those elements together in a way that it's a, it's just a fantastic symphony. So having the insight of other people, I think is, you know, whether it's critique partners, editors, um, definitely having the eyes of other people will help. I love that image of the tuning fork. That's going to like really mm. stick with me. Um, having all of those elements kind of working together for sure. Mm. All right. So I want to change gears a little bit. We've been talking a lot about the emotion thesaurus with good reason because it's great. Um, but Jay actually had another question uh, after reading your bio. She was really interested in learning about what the process is of working with a writing coach. What is, what is it like whenever you do a writing coach kind of work? Well, I'm actually I'm going to I'm going to disappoint Jay a little bit. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um. Beck and I, we don't do one-on-one -on -one coaching um, like other writing coaches might. Mm. And the reason why is because we understand that there's just so many different things to balance in order to just create a fantastic novel. And it, it, it can be really rewarding to work one-on-one -on -one with uh, writers, and we've done that in the past, but we kind of want to help as many people as we possibly can. And so we've sort of taken the broader viewpoint of what a writing coach is, and we make it our mission to create tools that will really help as many people as possible by creating tools that not only make writing easier, but break down the more difficult to understand elements so that writers understand how things work together. And, um, and then hopefully they can take that knowledge and just really slingshot the learning curve and really see a strong improvement in their writing. So an example of, of one way that we do this is a tool that we created called the Character Builder. And this is something at One Stop for Writers. <clears throat> and the Character Builder, you know, it, it, it is exactly what, it, what we call it. It helps you build a character from the ground up. But we look at all the most important pieces of information to know about a character. So you can brainstorm the character's backstory, their personality, their behavior and emotional range, which we, which we talked about before, um, you know, all their daily life stuff, uh, their talents, skills, secrets, the whole thing. And we built this so that it uses uh, all the different thesauruses we've written on these topics. So it will look at your character's emotional wound and you can kind of go through and pull information right from that thesaurus that applies directly to your character's behavior. Mm. And this tool, it guides you each step of the way to sort of explain, you know, what is your character's fear and why is this gonna be important in the story? What is the lie that your character believes and how is this gonna be important to the story? And so it, it helps explain these concepts as you go along so that you're not just brainstorming, okay, yeah, I, I need to figure out like some traumatic thing that happened to my character, you know, for reasons. Instead, <laughs> it's like, it's like, no, like you want a very specific emotional wound because that's going to be the centerpiece of your character arc. And it's going to be the very thing your character has to face and overcome in order to move forward someone stronger. And so we sort of break things down and, and, and make it easier for people to digest. And the beautiful thing about this tool is that it's smart enough to know which pieces of information the writer brainstorms about the character that will feed into character arc. And so it'll create a, a blueprint, basically showing them exactly based on the information that you brainstormed about this character, this is their arc in the story. Mm -hmm. And it, it creates this really helpful blueprint that you can now use to plot. And um, 
So again, just uh, we kind of take a broader view and try to figure out how can we make writing easier because there is such a learning curve. And so if we can kind of shorten that for people, that's kind of our mission. Hmm. It's really well, interesting. Sorry. Sorry. Um, I know that's not the traditional writing coach, so no. I apologize. <laughs> no, I think it's really interesting because on the last episode we have we had Gabriela Pereira from DIY MFA. Mm. And um, yeah, very similar kind of um, philosophies there, uh, different approaches, obviously. But um, yeah, I just, I think the there are a lot of crossover um, similarities there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the, the thing you said about the learning curve, that really resonates with me because I think, you know, so many of us who are creative people, we come to writing because we have the inspiration or the talent or the ambition to write a story. Um, and that feels like it, you know, if you're sort of a reasonably talented writer, you've been told all your life that you're a good writer and you always got A's in English class or whatever, it feels like that should be enough to sort of translate into writing a full mm. book. But there's so many kind of like conventions of narrative and the publishing market and fiction and all that kind of stuff that there is so much just kind of like terminology and basics to learn that there's not always a super great comprehensive resource out there for people. And it's not to say that like all of those conventions are cast in stone, but it really helps to know what they are when you're trying to go, especially a traditional publishing room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong for you guys, but I know for me, um, you know, like I said, when I started my journey, I thought, oh, I just need to, you know, polish up a little. I'll be great, ready to go. And, and then you're just like, <laughs> yeah. Right. But I think that every writer at some point in time, you learn enough about writing to it starts to sink in just what you don't know. And it's kind of this terrifying moment where you have a choice to make. You realize, OK, like I've climbed this summit. Yay me but there's like this giant mountain ahead of me of things to still learn and absorb and am I ready for that like am I ready to put in the hard work or do I quit and you know do something else and I've known people you know both uh, both sides of that fence um which always makes me sad especially when it's someone that has so much raw talent you know but uh it's writing it like you say it's so much more than just uh you know having that that passion or that idea, you really have to uh, put in the work. And it is a lot of work and there is a mm -hmm. lot to know. And yeah, once you understand the basics, like you, you know, you're more informed and you can make decisions about what you want to do for your story and make it your vision. Totally, you know, you don't have to pay attention to every single rule, but definitely, you know, you need to know what those rules are and why. Yeah, certainly helps. Mm -hmm. Um. I think I asked the last question. I, we've been talking back and forth so much, it's hard. <laughs> um, so I think we have another one from one of your Patreon supporters, mm -hmm. said, Lodestar, who says, you have so many amazing pictures of traveling experience. Where would you say is your favorite three spots you've been to? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> hey, I would say uh, Australia. I really loved Australia. Um, Italy really loved mm. Italy and Vietnam and yeah and uh, the Galapagos <laughs> it's okay I know those four <laughs> I can't it's count fun. it's like Rosemary's baby 
Uh, but no, like those would definitely be some of my favorites. Uh, I We've been very lucky to to travel a lot. It's a passion of mine and my husband's and we've taken our kids on a few trips. Some of these trips are uh, writing related like Australia, they invited me over there for a conference. And so, you know, I was able to travel afterwards, which was fantastic. So it's just one of the great things about what I do that I love. Um, I can kind of blend writing and, uh, and travel together. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's something I've been thinking about lately is is trying to craft a life around um like the the what is it called the FI people, the fire people call it location independence, right? Um where you can you can work from anywhere so you can mm-hmm. take kind of like prolonged trips if you want to. Um I wanted to ask you about you and your business partner Becca have only met in person a few times. Um, but you've co-written all these books together and built multiple businesses together. How have you managed to do that? Um, when you're separated by so much distance, I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Um, I think what, what the magic is with us is first of all, we're, we're completely aligned on our, on what we are and what we're trying to do. Um, we get along super well, um, because we really understand each other and, um, we have very complementary strengths and weaknesses. So my strengths um, complement her weaknesses and her weakness or her strengths complement mine, which has been really, really helpful. It means that we're able to divide tasks really well. Um, we're both you know, kind of masters in certain areas. And um, so being able to fill in each other's blanks has been super helpful. Um, we Skype a lot, uh, you know, and we, uh, we have weekly meetings, um, you know, for One Stop for Writers, we'll have a weekly meeting uh, with our team to kind of just go over what, where everyone is at and what is on our radar and stuff like that. So um, we're both highly communicative people, big surprise as writers, <laughs> but um, it's it's really, I think that's super key is just to have a really good communicative uh, relationship. But um, yeah, we just were both able to compromise. Uh, we both understand each other's passions and um, risk uh, thresholds and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and we're able to, you know, work with each other's sensitivities, which I just think if you have a really respectful relationship with the person that you're co-authoring a book with, um, you know, and that, that trust and friendship is there, it, it makes it really, really easy to to do projects together. So mm-hmm. distance isn't really an issue with us, although it is weird that we've only you know met I think four times. So <laughs> I guess we're all becoming kind of accustomed to that, yeah. um, especially in this last year. So you guys yeah. were just ahead of the curve. Yeah, exactly. It was practice. <laughs> um, so we have a question from the comments from Karen. He says, "Is there a book of yours that you suggest a writer get first? And I've lost my headphone. I did that. Um, I've got tiny ears, so they're just like constantly popping out. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, Karen, I would probably say to start with the Emotion Thesaurus. Just make sure you get the second edition because the second edition is expanded, and there's 130 emotions, whereas the first edition there's only 75. Um, and the reason why I would just suggest that one is because it is the most popular. It it seems to fill the greatest need with people. Um, so I would definitely say that would be a good one to start with. But with any of our books, if you go to, I know we talked about, you guys talked about indie bookstores at the start and I really appreciate that you did that because I think that's so important. Um, 
So if you go to um, you know any store that has like a preview of any of our books, and it might be Amazon, you can go look at Amazon and buy <laughs> indie. But there's always like a good sample of all our our books, so it'll kind of mm -hmm. give you an idea of what it is before you buy it. And I just you know I think that's the way to do it. Um, then you then you know what you're getting. I mean our books are a little strange in that they're not exactly writing guides. Um, they're kind of part writing guide, part tool. Um, but that's also part of the magic um, that people really find them easy to brainstorm um, as they're kind of, they can see an emotion all at once or they can see an emotional wound all at once or a setting, mm -hmm. so. All right, and it's time for the final question I ask every guest on the show. Um, what is the most important book you've ever read and why with, of course, you defining important however you would like to? This is a tough one. And and it, you're right. <laughs> no pressure. Um, I think that the book I would say was most important to me and my development and my ability to get over um, my insecurities as a writer, um, and also helping me in life is a book called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life. And it was by um, Marilee Adams. And it's actually a business book, um, mm -hmm. but it looks at the two mindsets that we have as people. Um, a lot of people have a mindset that's called a judging or a judger mindset. And this is basically, you know, where we get really critical and negative and um, we're closed-minded and defensive. So something bad happens and, you know, immediately we get angry and upset, you know, like a, a maybe a agent, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't request our, our work. Oh my God, you know, what's, what's wrong with them? And mm -hmm. we get very defensive or something bad happens. As writers, you know, it's, we get really upset and it can really get in our head. And mindset is so important in this business to, to have a, a good mindset. And so, you know, when, you, when you're in this judging mindset, you tend to kind of um, look for fault in things. You know, why, why aren't I good enough? You know, why didn't I get a request? You know, and, and we make it all about what we've done wrong or what's wrong with the world. And this book taught me how to flip that to a learner mindset, where instead of always judging and trying to find fault in everything and other people and yourself and what you did wrong, you instead become curious and you look for, okay, what's the lesson here? You know, what can I learn from this experience? What can I try to do next time? Um, how can I focus on the things that I can control and invest my time in that rather than worry and frustration and things that are out of my control? So mm -hmm. an example would be, you know, I want, I'm querying, um, you know, an editor or I'm querying an agent. I have no control over whether or not they're gonna say yes or no but I do have control over my query letter and really investigating on what makes a good query letter. How can I, um, you know, make sure that this is the pitch is there and it's as honed as possible. I have control over um, making sure that I'm targeting the agent properly. You know, there's a lot of things that I have control over that I can do my best at. Mm -hmm. And it just helped me flip the script. And once I started doing that, I actually started seeing a lot more success in my life just because I was looking at things differently. I was much more open minded. And, um, you know, I also was not feeling like a uh, as insecure and, you know, that imposter syndrome and stuff like that. Mm. I was able to kind of walk away from that. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I it's more attuned to me as far as importance, but it really did help me on my path. So that's probably the book I would say. It sounds good. Yeah, I think every major like 
emotional meltdown, like going to find my husband sobbing inconsolably about what is going on in publishing has been a hundred percent like me worrying about stuff other people mm-hmm. have control over or should be doing or weren't doing that I had like no say in and no control over at all. So I think that's that's really good advice. Yeah. It's interesting. I read a lot of um Buddhist books. I um the way that I was raised <laughs> is very different from the person that I want to be, right? So I, um, I've been trying to work on myself and being like less judgmental and less reactive, and um, and so it sounds very similar to like a lot of the things that I've learned, you know, through that study. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like a interesting Buddhist take on business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you coming and it's been great chatting with you. I've just oh, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you. It's been fun with you guys. This is this is great. Thank you guys so much for having me on. And yeah, thank you for answering all these questions. I'm learning so much. Yeah. All right. So um, we're going to say bye to Angela and we're going to close out with a couple of, uh, of the final segments. Bye, Angela. All right. That was great. I really yeah, enjoyed that. <laughs> I right, feel like I'm still learning so much about writing emotions. So mm-hmm. I was like yeah. asking all those questions for myself. <laughs> yeah, asking for a friend. <laughs> exactly. I, I am my best friend. Um, all right. Uh, it is time for Audio Book a Week. So Audio Book a Week this week is The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner, narrated by three people with very similar names. Um, Lorna Bennett. Lauren Anthony and Lauren Irwin in wow. 18th century. Yeah. <laughs> in 18th century London, women across the city whisper of a secret apothecary who sells well-disguised poisons to use against the oppressive men in their lives. But the apothecary's fate is jeopardized when her newest patron, a precocious 12 year old makes a fatal mistake. Meanwhile, in present-day London, aspiring historian Caroline Parswell spends her 10th wedding anniversary alone, running from her own demons. When she stumbles upon a clue to the unsolved apothecary murders that haunted London 200 years ago, her life collides with the apothecaries in a stunning twist of fate. God, that cover is just so sexy. I can't see it. It's so pretty, (laughs) yeah. Um, yeah, so this is um, I. This is an author who has actually taught a workshop for me at the library, um, and then the uh, the publisher offered me an audiobook review copy, which I get. I get like pitch emails from publishers, um, and so I decide I'm not a huge historical fan, and I say that, but every time I read a historical book, I love it. <laughs> so I, maybe I should stop saying that, but um, I really enjoyed it. It's like it's like a little less thriller thriller than the the description leads it mm-hmm. to lead you to believe but it is still very interesting and i really enjoyed all of it so yeah that's like a great premise um yeah we'll definitely have to check that out yeah oh and i did want to mention um this is the first time i'm doing it i think i'm gonna keep doing it if y'all like it i included both the libro fm first which i recommend and also the audible link in the um, description if you want to just go ahead and check that out and those are affiliate links so just a heads up on that all right it is time to talk about the viewer poll so let me pull that up on the screen this is one of the questions that i ask um authors on the queries qualms and quirks um 
podcast and so I was just kind of trying to get like a, a an idea of, of where people were so when are you when you're drafting do you tend to focus on getting it done or getting it right getting it done about 72 percent of people said that and getting it right about 28 percent said that um where are you I where did you fall? This, well I yeah. voted in this um and I said getting it done for sure and I, I should clarify though I think I am constantly fighting myself to mm. get it done instead of get it right. Um, I think just getting that internal editor to shut the hell up so that I can put like literally any garbage I can think of down on the page so that I have something to edit instead of obsessing over every sentence. And that's, I write most of my first drafts um, by hand in a notebook mm. because of my handwriting is so messy, I can't read it while I'm writing it. <laughs> um, and so it just forces me to kind of like keep moving. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I know there are people who like really obsess over every single particular word and that works for them, but I would never get anything done that way. Yeah. Where I definitely, I definitely started as a getting, getting done kind of person. And I think, and this is probably true for a lot of people. I think a lot of it has to do with, I wrote my first nano, my first novel through NaNoWriMo. And that's the whole philosophy of NaNoWriMo is like, just get the words on the paper. Right. Mm -hmm. um but because I hate editing like I hate revision I hate the whole process and it's fine like a lot of people love revision I don't um I am I'm transitioning more to get it right kind of person not necessarily like the language but I don't want to have to rewrite large chunks so if if I'm in the process of writing and I realize this this isn't right like I I'm going to have to do a large edit on this. I will stop and fix it because I just don't want to have to do it later. Yeah, I'm in the middle of this kind of like experiment right now where I've been changing my drafting process because I have the same problem where I also hate revising. Um, but if I fixate too much on it in the early stages, I never get anything done. Mm. So I've developed this like three part process where the goal was to make every part of the process feel like drafting. Um, so I do this like, crazy freehand draft uh, or no I do like a zero draft that I call mm -hmm. my chaos draft where I basically just explain the story to myself as like sarcastically as I possibly can <laughs> scene by scene and then it's like this doesn't matter at all because I'm not even writing in first person I'm writing it like talking it to myself mm -hmm. um, and then I use that as a jumping off point to freehand write it in my notebook and it's like, this doesn't matter at all. I'm just freehanding in my notebook. And then I do the, I type it up and I kind of edit it as I go. Mm. Um, and at that point it's like, well, this doesn't matter at all because I already wrote the whole thing. Um, so just like <laughs> convincing myself that nothing matters at every stage is really critical to my friends. That's great, that's fun. Yeah, um, and I've been really enjoying some of the questions. I mean, the way that writers have been answering this question on the podcast um, and it has helped me kind of like evaluate my own writing process a little bit yeah so, all right uh, i'm gonna stop sharing that and go back to my notes there we go all right um well thank you all for voting in the poll and um thank you kylie so much for coming on the show today it's been great yeah, having thank you, you. it's been a great conversation um and uh yeah so i'm gonna say goodbye to you and just close out with a couple notes and i'll talk to you in a minute Sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much to all of your viewers for letting me come and hang out with you guys. Oh, yeah.
Oh, sorry. <laughs> I got her off. Um, my bad. Um, okay. So uh, if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like and subscribe right down there so you don't miss another episode. And tell your friends if you enjoyed it because that is how they find out about things like this. You can also subscribe via email in the description. And um, oh, yeah. If you want to support the show with a couple of bucks a month, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And thank you so much to my Patreon supporters. You will see their names at the end of the show. And uh, I just wanted to say I really appreciate all the support you'll provide. And the social media for our guests is in the description along with their websites and links to their books. So make sure you go check them out. Uh, upcoming, we have uh, the Queries, Qualms, and Quirks episode this week will be uh, a middle grade memoir author who spent 20 years trying to make it as a screenwriter before writing a book. So I hope you tune in for that because it's a great conversation. Uh, we continue the Wednesday write-ins every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on this channel. Come and join us to get some writing done and just chat with us as well. The last Wednesday in April, uh, sorry, in May, I'm going to have to be late again because I'm teaching a workshop. And so we are actually going to be joined by guest, guest co-host, Kelly Garrett. So tune in for that. I mean, tune in for all of them, but tune in for that one too. And then on May 8th, I'm launching the new um, plot, the new format, sorry, for the second Saturday Pub Talk Lives. So that um, from now on, the second Saturday is going to be called Pub Talk Live Author Journeys. And it's uh, talking to an author, just doing kind of a deep dive into their author journey. Um, and that is going to be starting with Gabby Justice on um, May 8th. So come in for that. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.